Hi, I'm Jillian. I'm Olivia. I'm Holly, and you're listening to the Be Well Cartel podcast. Your go-to weekly podcast for women who want real, practical advice on food, fitness, and everything in between. And a healthy dose of dad jokes. Olivia, it is just, getting to see your face feels really good. And hear Jillian your voice. Bennett, you're seeing this face. <laughs> At a 5.30 a.m. Um, wake up and there is not a lot going on here, but the, the coffee is strong. So it's yeah. good. <laughs> so I recently got a DeLonghi automatic coffee maker, which is like a uh, yes, coffee I did maker. And I had um, a couple of weeks, well, really like a month where I was like, I was drinking like four espressos a day. And then I realized, <laughs> I was like, Jillian, this is not great for your overall well-being, even though it's really fun to like press the button on the machine and like foam your own milk. So I am, I have reduced, I have reduced myself. I've um, used self-regulation skills to reduce my my coffee intake. (laughs) I actually got a, Edward, my husband bought me a milk frother last year. Oh, it's the best thing ever. Oh, I've been wanting one for so long. It's actually, it's a DeLonghi one. It's a DeLonghi milk frother. And my coffee straight away, same thing. My coffee consumption just went up, mm-hmm. up, 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 mm-hmm. just because I wanted to use the milk frother. I'm like, look, you can use the milk frother for other drinks yeah. if you want yeah. to. You don't need to be having coffee. <laughs> exactly. And in the, for the sake of, so as you all have noticed, you lovely people that listen to our podcast, um, we have not been as consistent with our episodes as we usually are. And part of that is because the three of us, I've been traveling a lot. Holly is currently in the UK. Olivia's in New Zealand. Um, And it's been tough to like get the three of us together. And so we, for the sake of time, because both of us are, you know, both of us have stuff to do. I've got, it's now 7 p.m. my time. And we will keep you updated on kind of what this looks like as far as future episodes. We're not going anywhere, but we may be adjusting our posting schedule um, and just want to be upfront about that. But we will keep everybody in the loop. And today we are going to chat about a question that was brought to me by a client of mine. And I thought it was such an incredible, incredible question as someone who is just getting started with kind of looking at what a better or what what a fulfilling relationship with food and exercise looks like. And this individual was curious, like, if I'm looking to adopt this identity as someone that has a good relationship with food and a good relationship with my body, like, what does that look like? And so the question that that we're going to chat about today is how does somebody look, behave and think that has overcome issues with food and their body? Mm. And it's interesting because this person is also a client of mine. And so we have a, both of us have a special relationship with this person who's answered this question. And um, I think that is going to bring a really cool dynamic with what we're going to be talking about today as well. Um, This is also a question that is really close to my heart because when I was healing my relationship with food and exercise and my body, which took many, many, many years. And this is important to say as well, that 
it doesn't just happen. And I think that we can think that it's like, okay, cool. Like if I just do this thing, if I just eat mindfully, if I just take a rest day, then my relationship with the stuff is going to be healed. But it takes time and it's practice and it's actually developing skills like self-compassion, emotional regulation, um, managing expectations that come along with the practical application of the things that we're going to be talking about as well. So it takes a long time, but I remember thinking years ago, I am never going to be someone who has a good relationship with food and exercise. But I did, I really, really remember thinking those things. And so as a preface to this, let me tell you that as someone who thought that, that that could never be possible for them and where I am now, it is entirely possible for you. Yeah, I completely, I, I for me specifically, with food, because food was an issue for me as far back as I can remember in my life. And in my head, I had this thought of like, I am just someone who has no self-control around food. I am just someone that will, you know, will always have issues with my body. Right. And for me, exercise, like having a healthier relationship with exercise was actually a lot easier for me, but food was really, really hard. And I think one of the things that was helpful is remembering, like, this is not something I developed overnight. This is something that has been like a seed that was planted when I was young and has been growing ever since. And understanding that I think can give you a little bit more compassion with yourself where this is not something that someone is going to solve for you in, you know, a month. Or you're going to start working with a coach and all of a sudden, you know, three months later, you're fixed. Like both of us have clients that work with us for a long time because this stuff is, it goes deep and, and I don't want that to feel discouraging. I want that to feel empowering. It's like, you do have the capacity to change this stuff for yourself if you are okay with it not being as quick as maybe you want it to be. So with that... Let's talk about, we're going to talk a little bit about some signs of a positive relationship with food. Then we're going to talk about some, some signs of a positive relationship with exercise. And we're going to give some concrete examples. Um, I know my brain works so well when I hear examples of like, what does this actually look like in real life? And I think Olivia and I have some really good examples for you guys. So mm. from our own lives. And so a few, and this is, this is not a limited list. This is not a list of things that you're like, it is only this. It is going to be slightly different for everyone, but some green flags in, in, your, in, a, in a positive relationship with food are being in, in touch with your hunger and your fullness cues. So being able to identify the difference between, oh, I'm a little bit hungry and oh my gosh, I'm starving. I am hangry. I could kill someone. And being able to also identify like, oh, I'm satisfied versus wow, I'm super, super full. Like those nuances contribute to having a good relationship with food. You are aware of, but not obsessed with nutrition info. And this is really important because we often get very deep in the weeds of like, I need to make sure that my diet is perfect. And that someone that is extremely disciplined in their nutrition is not necessarily someone that has by any means a good relationship with food. And I think Olivia and I can speak to that as be as people that people would be like, wow, you're so disciplined. You eat so healthy. And it was not coming from a good place. Um, I, and one, I, I do want to mention is you eat, so you eat mindfully most of the time. 
And the reason why I added most of the time there is because someone that has a good relationship with food is someone that is also, their actions are going to be fluid. They're not only going to do one thing all the time. So that means that most of your meals, you're present, you're noticing the flavors and the textures, and you're thinking, mm, this is nice, this is tasty. You're not judging, is this too much food? Is this not enough food? But sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're eating quickly. Sometimes you're eating on the go. Sometimes you're, you're finishing a meal and you're like, oh, I think I ate more than I planned to. And that is okay. And so Olivia, I'm going to pass some of these on to you. So I don't end up just talking away for the next 15 minutes. Um, cause there's quite a few more that we can go into. Cool. Yeah. So I'll go, shall I go through some things with exercise and then come I, back to you? Yeah. I, well, I think, I think maybe let's finish up the food ones and then move into exercise. So with, and it's interesting, I mean, there's so many, so much of this, are like they're just like foundational things that we, we can move into as a human mm. and they apply to these different contexts in our life with food, with exercise, um, with work relationships and stuff like that. So when we start to work on these things, they have massive carryover to all of these different contexts, which is really cool. Um, some more things that someone that has a really good relationship with food um, is that you don't usually eat for emotional reasons. Is that where we're up to, Jillian? I was just so we're, we're actually down. we're on eating without guilt, feeling guilt or shame. Ah, eating without guilt, feeling guilt or shame. So there is not an attachment to self when you're eating. So if you are eating something and you're making that mean something about you so if you have some chocolate and you feel shame because you're making that mean that you are a bad person or you're doing something wrong um there is that detachment from what you're actually eating as you know doing that because you enjoy it or you desire it you want it but it doesn't mean anything about you but um the next one is you don't usually eat for emotional reasons. There is a caveat there, though, that you can, there's nothing wrong with eating when you're feeling emotional. Like, I think that there is a lot of judgment that's put on that by us because there's a lot of stuff out there saying that emotional eating is like, bad um, but it's not a bad thing it's being aware of your emotions and you can still eat a cookie you can still eat chocolate if you're feeling sad angry frustrated or whatever but it's actually being aware of that and making a conscious decision or making a conscious decision to not do that and do another action or behavior that's actually going to soothe you so that's part of emotional regulation um Another thing that someone has, who has a good relationship with food is that you're not eating with, you eat without overthinking food choices. So there is not a, you're not having the thought that if I eat this, is that going to make my body bigger or is this bad or is this good? But you're thinking, what is the context for this food? So Am I hungry? Yes. Okay. What do I need right now? Am I going to have a workout and I need to have something before that and not kind of thinking, do I have protein? Do I have fat? Do I have carbohydrates? So simplifying what you're eating. Um, 
The next thing that we've got here is eating until satisfied most of the time. So I think that what Jillian has got here most of the time is really important that there are definitely occasions where you're not going to, that you're going to overeat. So maybe holidays, maybe Christmas time, you ate more than feeling satisfied. And that's absolutely fine. We can exist on this full spectrum of being hungry, being satisfied and being over full. And that's absolutely fine because it's part of being a human and having a relationship with food. Jillian, do you want to do the last couple? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that that is a really, a really important um, point to make is that we sort of believe that like someone that has a good relationship with food is never going to overeat or they're like never going to, going to eat something that they're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have eaten that. Like that's not, that's not the case. I think when, and this kind of feeds into the next one is like, you have unconditional permission to eat and understanding that unconditional permission to eat is also unconditional permission to eat is like sometimes eat more than your body needs because something's really tasty. And I think a a common misconception about having unconditional permission to eat is that like, that means that I am going to eat donuts whenever I want them. And someone that has a positive relationship with food and is, is practicing unconditional permission to eat means that they can check in with themselves and say, do I actually want this thing right now? Is this going to help me feel the way that I want to feel? And is this going to support, like, let's say you do have a fat loss goal. I personally don't believe that there, that it is impossible to have a positive relationship with food and pursue intentional fat loss. But I do believe it's incredibly important to work on relationship with food and get that to a place of stability before approaching intentional fat loss. Because there's definitely a big difference between saying, you know what? I'm going to choose not to eat this donut because right now my goal is fat loss and I'm cool with making that decision and being like, I cannot eat that donut right now because I am trying to lose weight and that does not lead me to where I want to go. Very different situations. And the last thing I have here, and again, this is not an exhaustive list, is people with a good relationship with food feel comfortable eating in different settings. I know that, especially for me, I know for Olivia, it, it felt really uncomfortable to, to eat in situations in which we did not have full control over the food or over the food options or over the portions, even felt really uncomfortable if someone else was serving your plate. And if you are working on things like working on understanding your hunger and satisfaction cues, um, being aware of, but not obsessed with nutrition information, like eating in different settings feels a lot less threatening and you're able to go with the flow a lot more easily and recognize like, look, if I don't want to eat everything on my plate, I absolutely don't need to do that. And that is my choice. So I think these are some indications of someone that does have a positive relationship with food. And these are things that you can work towards and be on different places along the spectrum, which I know is also going to apply to some of the exercise examples that you're going to tell us about now. Yeah. So again, like all of this stuff is so, so much the same. So these foundational skills that we are building as a human um, are going to carry over to exercise and to food. Like, the things that we've just listed talking about having a good relationship with with food they are skills that we are building ourselves like compassion self-regulation and stuff and then that can be applied to these particular things that we're actually talking about so the first one with exercise is your ability to self-regulate so you know when you can push more and when you can pull back 
I think that there is kind of this rhetoric out there where there is a confusion that if I have more compassion with myself and my body and exercise, that means that I do things slow or I just go walking or I just do yoga. Like I can't do hard exercise, but it's not the case at all. You can do whatever you want to. It's how you're thinking about it that matters. So your ability to understand your body and have awareness around your body of when where your energy actually is so that you can maybe go for a one RM back squat or if you do actually need to just pull back and do less weight than what the, the workout might um, prescribe. You know, if it is like a one RM, then you're like, okay, I can push today or no, I'm not feeling so good. I'm going to pull back and be totally okay with that. Um, the next thing is that you don't make your workouts mean anything about you as a human. So if you have a bad workout, you're not a bad person. Um, if you have a good workout, amazing, cool, like revel in that, but it doesn't mean that you have made it or um, that you're never going to have a bad workout again. Um, and if you miss a lift, like Jillian used to do weightlifting, you know, missing a snatch or missing a clean and jerk. It doesn't mean that you suck, um, but it just means that you missed a snatch or you missed a clean and jerk. So your ability to detach from your workout is meaning you're good or bad. Um, another thing here is that you can exercise without feeling guilt or shame. So just like with food, that which is similar to the meanings that we attach to exercise, um, you seek out information, just like nutrition, about exercise and try different things, but you don't take what influencers might say or what other people are doing as gospel. And this is particularly important if you see someone that has a body that you want or you like, that you're not thinking, okay, if I do that exercise, then I'm going to look like that. But you try different things out and you look at what is right for you, your schedule, your um, physiology, what you're able to do and what you enjoy and not be too influenced by what other people are doing around you because of a body shape. Um, you don't use exercise to manage stress, but it still can be very therapeutic. So you're not going for a run and hoping that that's going to wash away your problems because at the end of a run, your problems are still there. So you have other soothing techniques to help you with emotional regulation and you use exercise as a way to actually get stronger, get fitter, get enjoyment out of it. And it can be therapeutic as well. Um, there isn't a transaction between food and exercise. Gillian, do you want to speak to this? Yeah, I think that this is a, a really important one because we do, you know, we know like, oh, I exercise and exercise burns calories. I eat food and food has calories. And so in our heads, we create this connection of like, that makes sense. However, when we have such a, a strong connection between I exercise to be able to eat food or vice versa, like I eat a certain way to exercise like that in itself creates like an unnecessary connection between one thing 
there were two different things that we do for health, right? Like we exercise for our health. We exercise to take care of ourselves. We eat for health. We eat to take care of ourselves in many different ways. And so releasing that transactional need can be really supportive for a good relationship with exercise because you no longer feel the pressure to exercise to make up for something that you've eaten. And I think that that brings us to, to the next point, which is like, your relationship with exercise is not related to your need to burn calories. It's not related to your need to change your body. And this is where I think, you know, you hear a lot of people say like exercise joyfully, like exercise because you love it. And some people just don't love exercise. Cool. That's fine. That is totally fine. Some people do not love exercise. So then perhaps a, a more helpful way to frame it instead of exercise in order to change your body or control your body is like exercise because you care about yourself and because you want to promote your health. And I think mm. looking, frame it, fr framing it from that way can be really helpful for a more positive relationship with exercise because you are important to you. We know that because you want to keep yourself alive. You want to keep yourself alive for as long as you can. And exercise can be a part of that. But when you tie it simply to controlling your body, it does suck a lot of the joy out of what you can do. Mm. Actually, just on that, um, something that I was a part of last night, a, a call. And what she said was, um, do this thing because you support yourself. Yeah. And I really like that with, you know, sort of like what you said, it's like I exercise because I want to support myself. I eat this because I want to support myself. And that can be across that massive spectrum, right? I'm eating this chocolate because I support myself. Like I support my desires, you know, I'm desiring yeah. this thing. Or I don't eat this chocolate because I support myself because I know that, I need to find another way to actually deal with this emotion that's coming up for me rather than having this chocolate. Well, right? and it all comes back to choice, right? It all comes yes. back to like a positive relationship with food and exercise comes down to like, do you feel like you have choice or do you feel like you don't have choice? Do you feel like yeah. you have autonomy or do you not? And yep. so I think, you know, I, I think when we look at the, the examples, I think this will make more sense, but there's two more points here. I don't know if you want to finish them off. Yeah. And I will just say on that as well is something that can be really um, helpful in a moment, if you can find a pause, is just ask yourself, is this decision I'm making right now an empowered decision? Is yeah. it an empowered decision? Um, yeah. So the the last couple of things here with exercise are, you know, if, if you if you miss a workout, you don't stress about it because you're in fitness or supporting yourself with intentional exercise, you're in it for life because you understand that that's part of your value system of self-care and looking after yourself. And if we're thinking about that, like over your lifespan, missing a workout is, is not a big deal. Um, and that also means that we're taking that bigger picture approach and we're not honing in like looking at workouts or looking at nutrition and isolation as like a single meal, a single day, because we understand that all of these pieces work together for the bigger picture of our lives. Um, and the last thing here is you don't sacrifice social occasions or connection, um, which is really, really important for developing like self-compassion. Um, you don't sacrifice social occasions like going out for brunch with friends or um, going out for dinner to go and work out. So 
and that's kind of making value-led decisions um, where you're not feeling like you have to go and work out um, and you can't go out with friends or do fun things. So, I mean, you also can. And again, that's autonomy, right? But um, if that's coming from a place of fear or love, you can make those decisions. Yeah, I think it, a lot of it is like, what's the intention behind it, right? And I think that let's bring this into like more concrete examples. And so I'll give an example around food from my life. And then if you want, we can give a, an example around exercise. And then Anna, my dog is looking at me like she is going to start barking at any moment. So we'll have to wrap it up so I can go feed her. <laughs> She's staring at me and like, I see, like you probably, any of you that are listening that have a dog, you know, that look in your dog's eyes when they're going to start barking anyways. So what it looks like to shift into behaviors and thoughts and actions that contribute to a positive relationship with food. One of the things, an example for me that I think is really impactful is understanding that my body is not the most interesting thing about me. And that how that affects my relationship with food is because my issues with food stemmed from the fact that I believed that my body was not okay. And that food controlling food was going to lead me to having a body that was okay. And so the actions that I took in my own life were first understanding what my values are, like what is actually important to me and identifying where in my life I was not aligned with those values. And the connection that I value so much from others was really lacking because I spent so much time thinking about food. And so I'll give you an example. I remember going out to dinner um, with friends and I lied to everyone. And I told them that I had eaten ahead of time because I was simply too scared to order anything off the, the menu because I couldn't track it. And so the whole time I was, instead of engaging with the individuals around me, I was thinking about how hungry I was and how much I wanted to eat something of theirs. But the only thing I would allow myself to have was a diet Coke. Now we want to fast forward to like what a situation like that with friends looks like with a positive relationship with food. And it might be like, maybe you got invited out to dinner and you're like, I didn't know I was going to get invited out to dinner. Oh, like I wasn't planning to eat a larger meal and a positive relationship with food is able to say, Hey, I'm having these thoughts of like, I don't know if this fits in with the overall plan for the day, but you know what? I'm going to go with it. Why? Because it promotes and it supports my value of connection. I want to go and I want to connect with the people that are going to be at this dinner. And what that means is I then get to use the skills that I've built. And this is something that I do all the time. I'm naturally a very, very fast eater. And I have worked very strongly on skills to slow my eating down so that I can really connect with my hunger and fullness. So that means going out to dinner, acknowledging the, the scary thoughts that might come up, going out to dinner and remembering that I'm out to dinner to connect with the people around me, not necessarily just because of the food. And maybe the food is absolutely freaking delicious and I'm going to enjoy the heck out of it. And I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and I'm going to say, you know what? I still deserve to eat today just because I'm alive, not because of what I ate yesterday, but just because I'm alive. So that I think is, is a few examples of, you know, from one place to another. I might have gone yeah, on a rant. I love there. it. Nah, that's cool. I really like that. I like how you brought in how you use your values because I think that that we see this all the time of like, okay, be value led and you know these kind of things. But 
it's hard when you have, well, first of all, you have to actually know what your values are. Yeah. And I think a lot of people maybe, this sounds really hard and maybe this is like a, a hard pill to swallow, but some people can't be bothered going through the process of actually defining their values or it feels too difficult or too challenging or you don't actually know how to do it which we have an episode on so yes we do we will link that yeah um but yeah I love that you talked about that and how you actually use your values like what you said with connection right you realize that that was missing and you were able to decide choose your actions and behaviors sort of based on that and coming back to that. I think um, for me, one of the most important things with changing my relationship with exercise and the way that I think about exercise now is it's a friendship where it was never really a friendship. I thought it was, but it actually wasn't supporting me. And now I have a, re- a very beautiful friendship with exercise, which is trust, love, support. The first thing that I had to do was decide that I no longer wanted to be controlled by exercise because that's what it felt like. But I had to get to a point where I was actually in a lot of pain with it and suffering that I got to a point where I was like, this is not what I want for my life anymore. And then in order to change that, so from going from working out every single day multiple hours every day, obsessed with it, um, going on holidays and having to find gyms and, you know, travel a long time to get to gyms and feel very stressed about not exercising. If someone wanted to go out for lunch or something like that, and that got in the way of my workout routine, I would always say no. So I didn't do a lot of social things. And A big turning point for me was when someone said to me, do you do anything else other than workout? And that's when I realized that, okay, this is actually not helpful, as well as my health suffering from doing so much exercise. So I had to start small, though, um, and that was doing things that were seemed so menial, like cutting myself off at 60 minutes instead of doing 90 minutes or doing one set less, or instead of doing a workout and then adding extra things on like I used to do, I would just not add extra things on. So these little bits and pieces, I just continued to do and continued to feel really uncomfortable with um, so that I could start to trust that actually I'm fine. And so now I'm in a place where I work out um, no more than 60 minutes, sometimes like 30 minutes. And I kept myself at that still because I can easily go back to those disordered, that disordered place. And I have to be very aware of what comes up for me. And this is important that these narratives and these um, stories that we have around food and exercise, they don't go away. But because they're so, so deep from from our past, history, social things, they're always coming at us. If you're on social media, you have that shit coming at you every single day. But what we can do is reduce the intensity of them. And so this is where it's about 
like we've been talking about, developing their skills so you can develop that internal armor against the things that are coming at you. So I think that that is important, that all of these things that we have been talking about with having a good relationship with food and exercise, they're available to you 100%. But it doesn't mean that the trigger thoughts or the threat the threats that we actually feel around our body, food and exercise go away. It just means that we can reduce the threat response and increase our ability to have a better relationship with these things. So it's having and. That is so important, Olivia, what you just said, because I think that people have this belief that like, once you're quote unquote healed, you just don't have the thoughts anymore. Like you don't have them. And it's like, no, the thoughts are still going to come up. But instead of being yells, instead of yelling at you, they, they get down to like whispers, right? And instead of like, the voice yelling at you and then you go do something about it, it whispers and you're like, hey, I'm not going to listen to you today. Like I've chosen mm -hmm. to to do other things that I know support me better. And I think that that is, I was just, I, I have sort of like an internet friend who's like someone that follows me on social media and we like talk and she's in eating disorder recovery. And she mentioned to me the other day, she's like, are, you know, they tell, they keep telling me in eating disorder recovery that like, you know, you just got to get it to go away. And I'm like, I don't, I personally, like, I'm not an eating disorder specialist, but I don't believe it ever goes away. I think you just get better at dealing with it. Mm, and I yeah. think that like, I, I want people to know that are listening that it's like, it's not like if you have a, like, if you have a relationship with food or your body that feels like a struggle right now, it's not like all of a sudden one day you're gonna be like, I'm perfect and amazing. It's going to be like, oh, okay. I don't hear these thoughts as loud anymore. And then when you're in a situation that is like stressful or triggering in some way, they may come back, but you now have skills that you can lean on to not fall back into old patterns. So mm. yeah. With that. And it's also each time you you listen to those whispers and you don't judge and you choose a different action. There's just trust that's built every single yep. time. It's a vote the for that new identity. Have, yeah. And the more trust that you have, it's like, that's when things become easier because you know that what you're moving towards is actually fine. You're fine. <laughs> you, yeah. you realize you're fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that Olivia, that was, Great. I always love it when we share like personal examples. I'm a big, I'm a big weird, I guess I'm weirdly a big fan of being like open and honest on, on the internet, which I guess is kind of weird. Um, but, uh, yeah, that Not was at awesome. All. I think, I think, um, that that's what I have found over the years is my vulnerability, of course, is boundaries with that, but it's relatable, you know, yeah. I mean, We've been in this game for a really long time. Yeah. And I think the way that we approach things, people can be like, wow, it's so easy for you. It's like, no, no, way, no, man. no, no, <laughs> no way. And yeah. even though it's easier now, it's still hard. It's easier and hard. You know, there's still times yeah. when those thoughts come up and it's just practice over the years and trust. Um, in ourselves that we can do something different, but it's taken work and effort and this stuff really does. Yeah, 100%. And I think, yeah, I'm not going to say anything else because we're going to end up knowing the two of us will end up being here for another hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> but Olivia, thank you so much for hanging out and thank whoever is listening right now. Thank you for hanging out as well. And hopefully this is going to help support you in adopting some more health promoting and supportive behaviors towards food and exercise. If you know someone that might need to listen to this episode or might need a, um, 
a little reminder of these things, please pass it on to them. That would be absolutely incredible. Um, if you want to reach out to us, we are on Instagram at BeWellCartel. And we will keep you updated on what is going on with the podcast. But don't worry. Don't worry. There is a podcast. We just may be changing up our posting schedule a little bit. But we will keep you updated with that. Anyways, thank you so much for being here. And we will see you again next time.